Well, there are lots of words we could use to describe uh, Christmas and Christmas season, and if we made a list of all those words, probably for many of us, one of the words on that list would be, you know, busy. We're adding one more party to go to, one more uh, children's program at school, one more uh, gift that needs purchased, one more family event to attend, one more something that has to take place, and and we might uh, say that our schedule is a little more busy than usual. We might even use a word like uh, chaotic. There's just a little extra to do. And, and even for some parents this morning, you know, it was fun to have kids sing. Uh, my, my daughter, who's 17, now walked in this morning. She saw kids walking down the hallway. She said, oh, I remember when I did that. And I said, yeah, I remember when you were cute too. And she said, uh, I didn't want to do that. And I asked you, do I really have to do that? And I said, yes. And, uh, and then I walked away, just probably like I did when she was eight. You know, yes, you have to do that. And, and that was the end of the story, I guess. But I, I know that not every kid loves that. And there was maybe a little extra effort to, hey, I want you to wear this sweater, or I want you to put this tie on, or I want you to stand and smile and act like you're having fun, and, and a little extra chaos just maybe surrounded even this morning. And so uh, thanks for working through that with us. And, and I want you to know that, uh, man, we can, we can overcome that chaos. Maybe, maybe it reminds you, makes your life think uh, a little bit in, about this movie. little chaotic. You know, all those things are good. The decorations are good. The events are good. The, all that stuff we add to our list are, are good things probably, but they can, they can sort of add to the chaos. And you throw in on top of those, you know, some real blows that sometimes life uh, throws at us even during, you know, the Christmas season. Man, we can really sometimes say this, this Christmas season just seems a little extra 
busy, a little extra chaotic than usual, I want you to know that you can find real joy no matter the circumstances that surround you. Christmas is about discovering that joy even in the midst of chaos. I think the story of an angel uh, announcing the birth of Jesus to Joseph, uh, the man who was married to, to Mary and uh, would be uh, Jesus' earthly father in Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 teaches us uh, three principles that can help us to find joy no matter the circumstances that surround us, no matter the chaos that we might find ourselves in the middle of. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to the first chapter of the book of Matthew. We're going to take a look at verses 18 through 25 this morning and three principles that it teaches us to uh, find Finding joy even in the midst of chaos. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is what God's word says. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, an interesting story, and I think it teaches us three principles that can help us to find joy even in the middle of chaos. Principle number one is that some things are out of our control. Some things are simply out of our control. Our our story begins in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It, It could be the introduction to any biography, couldn't it? The Gospels aren't technically a biography, but they're our very best source of information about about the life of Jesus in any story about a person, any biography could begin with this. This is when he was born. This is when she was born. And and that's very much what's taking place here in verse 18. It just so happens, though, that this beginning to the story, this beginning to the biography is a little bigger than most beginnings of biographies. It's it's a little deeper. It's more significant than most of those stories. And You look at the very beginning of chapter 1 and and you read through this list of names, this genealogy, this family tree of Jesus. And and as I did that, I just circled some names and I put a square around other names. And and I was just going through in my mind thinking, well, these are the list of names that when we look at history, we'd say, man, these people, they are came through in a big way. They did the right thing, and they were successful, and I circled them. And other names I put a square around because I thought, when you look back at their history, you're going to say, man, they chose poorly, and they, they made some mistakes, and they, they shouldn't have done the things that they did. And, and history sort of frowns when it looks back on, on their lives. And so that list of names is filled with some circles and some, some squares in chapter 1 of the book of Matthew. It reminded me of this game. We've done this before uh, several years ago. This is a rewriting of that genealogy, of that family history in Matthew, okay? 
this is what I want you to do, all right? I'm going to give, when I read some of these names, I'll give a thumbs up. And when I give a thumbs up, I want you to cheer, all right? And when I give a thumbs down, I want you to boo, okay? And when I make a fist, I want you to say, huh. Okay, so we're going to practice. Are you ready? That was good. That was good. That was very good. Okay. So I know you guys will be successful. We'll see if I can do two things at once and read this in thumbs up and thumbs down at appropriate times. Okay. Are you ready? We're going to give it a try. Okay. This is a list of ancestors of Jesus Christ, a a descendant of David, who was a descendant of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, the man who stole his brother's birthright. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab was the father of Nashon, and the father of Salmon, who was the father of Boaz by Rahab, who was a prostitute. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, a great woman whose story is told in the book of, Bi- of the Bible bearing her name. And Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, whom he had murdered. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, a good king, but one who disobeyed God for several years. And Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, who had 14 wives. And Abijah was the father of Asa, a good king, but later disobeyed God and died of gangrene of the feet. And Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, a king who ruled wisely most of the time. And Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram, the father of Uzziah, whose pride caused his downfall. But Uzziah was the father of Jotham, a very good king in every way. And Jotham was the father of Ahaz, a very good king in every way. And Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah, who cleansed the temple, uh, who cleansed the temple and reestablished the kingdom. You're fading. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, who ruled for 55 years, but who was evil for most of the time. Manasseh was the father of Josiah, who did right in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah was the father of Jeconi, who was the father of Shethiel, who was the father of Zerubbabel, who was the governor of the people who was chosen by God. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad, who was the father of Elakim, who was the father of Azor, who was the father of Zadok, who was the father of Achim, who was the father of Eliad, who was the father of Eliezer, who was the father of Mathan, the father of Jacob, uh, but not the one we spoke of earlier. And that Jacob was the father of Joseph the carpenter, who was the husband of the Virgin Mary, of whom was born Jesus, whom we call Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the Christ. Right, so you run through this list of names, and, and here's the deal, that there's some really great names on that list, some people that, that Matthew or, or that Joseph, rather, would look back on and say, man, I, my descendants include King David, the glory days of Israel that we talked about last week. And there are some names that are filled on that list of, of kings who di- acted selfishly, who Israel doesn't look back on with pride or, or uh, any sense of, of, man, they did the right thing for God, or they were righteous in his eyes, or, or they were even good for our country. And however they figured it, that, that list of names is filled with good and bad, and it's through all of that, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, the, the things of great pride and the things of, of, of looking back on and, and being embarrassed of, that God brings about Messiah, that he brings through all of that history, the birth of Jesus. In fact, the Greek word for birth in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 and the Greek word for genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 is the same Greek word. And it literally means history. 
There's this history of Jesus' family. And this birth of Jesus is this historic event, this real event that came about through the history of real people dealing with making real choices and dealing with real consequences, both good consequences and negative consequences from both great choices and poor choices in their life. And through all of that, God ushers in the birth of His Son, Jesus. It took place in this way. And and the extraordinary just kind of keeps adding on. Because as certainly as Joseph would look back on his family tree and say, well, I can't really control that. You know, they say you can't pick your family. You can't control that history or where you came from or any of those things. He He would hear the story of what's to be and have to come to the same conclusion. Man, I can't control any of those things either. There are just some things that are out of my control. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Last week we talked a little bit about this idea of engagement and that it's very similar to the, our idea of engagement in our world, but it, it carried a, a more of a legal emphasis in, in, Jesus, in Jesus' day. And so... Uh, Joseph and Mary would have been legally married, but still living in separate households at this time. Mary would still be living under the authority of her father, and Joseph would be living in his own household, and and so they would be legally married, but the honeymoon hadn't taken place. They they hadn't uh, made one household at that point. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So there's this really unique story, and we're going to have a couple mentions of the Holy Spirit. I want to get back to Joseph in a minute, but I want to take a moment and consider the Holy Spirit, because he's going to show up a couple of times here, be mentioned a couple of times, and, and certainly he plays this key role in this story. And I want to think for just a minute what we know about the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to begin at the, at the front of the book in Genesis chapter 1. You know, God created the, the, the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And then Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 gets a little more murky, right? There was this water that covered the expanses, and hovering over the water was God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 teaches us that at the very beginning at creation, the Holy Spirit was involved of everything that we see, the creation of everything that we see. You, you turn over in the Old Testament to, to a book like the book of Psalms, uh, and you look particularly at Psalm uh, 104, uh, the 104th Psalm, verse uh, 29 and 30, it says, When you hide your face, they are dismayed, and when you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and, re- and you renew the face of the ground. The, the, the poet says, when, when you take away your spirit, God, things die, and when you give your spirit, God, things are renewed, things are, are given life. And so at the very beginning of creation, this the Spirit, Holy Spirit was involved in creation, and Holy Spirit is involved in the giving of life. You turn over to one of the prophets like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, he says, there shall come from uh, forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah and when he talks about Messiah he says the Holy Spirit will be in him 
You know, the, the Holy Spirit will be on him. It'll indwell him. And so Holy Spirit is involved at creation. And Holy Spirit is involved in giving and renewing life. And Holy Spirit is involved in the coming of Messiah. And all three of those events, all three of those activities are, are taking place in this story about the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, this new life, this new creation, the coming Messiah. And so the Holy Spirit is involved in this very significant way. Uh, in, in the birth of Jesus, it's, it's part of, of God's big plan. Verse 19 goes on to say, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he hears what's coming, right? The story that's going to unfold. And the angel starts to, to, to tell that story. And, and Scripture says Joseph heard that, and he's, he was trying to decide what in the world do I do. He was trying to figure out how do I... How do I take care of the situation that I find myself in, this relationship and the problem in this relationship? Uh, some Bible scholars think that Joseph knew the whole story and that he wanted out, that he just thought, oh, man, I can't handle the pressure. I can't handle what's going, to, what, what's going to happen. I can't be the earthly father to Messiah, to God in the flesh. Some Bible scholars say that's what verse 19 is talking about. And if that's what verse 19 is talking about, I mean, who could really blame Joseph for jumping to that conclusion? I don't think I can really handle this. I've got to find something else to do with my life. I'm not so sure that Joseph just knew exactly what was going on. I, I think he, just like Mary last week, sort of grew into that role. I think Joseph is growing into that role, and he maybe doesn't understand everything. I think what verse 19 tells us is, is that Joseph, like the rest of his village, figured out at about the same time that Mary, this woman that he was engaged to, that he was legally married to, that he hadn't slept with yet, was pregnant already. And he's, he's trying to figure out, how do I resolve this situation? What do I do? Because there were some real consequences for those kinds of choices uh, accounted for in the law, in the Old Testament. We talked about them last week. Uh, you can look in other places like uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 25, that the penalty for adultery was, was death, was stoning. And even while that probably wasn't practiced and carried out in Joseph and Mary's day and age because of ru Roman rule and all sorts of other other reasons, there, it would have been some really severe consequences for each one of them when this was discovered that Mary was pregnant and Joseph says he's not the father, so who's the father and what in the world's going on? There would have been some significant baggage that each of them had to carry through this. And Joseph is left trying to figure out, what do I do? How do I handle this? Scripture describes him as righteous in thinking that, well, I can save her the public trial and I can divorce her quietly and, and maybe she can go live in, in another town. We can find relatives for her to live with and we can kind of sort this out. I got a phone call this week from my mom. She said, Lance, I, I need to tell you something. And it doesn't matter how old you are when your mom calls and that's how the phone call begins. It's like, you know, I felt a little guilty. I was wondering what did I do wrong? You know, what, why am I going to be grounded? What's going on? And, and she said, Lance, I have to tell you something. I said, okay, mom, what? And she said, somebody stole our car. She had been to the store and she left her purse in the cart or she set her purse down somewhere and somebody stole her purse. 
uh, walked away with that. She had the keys to the car she had driven to the store in her pocket, but the purse walked away with the keys to the, the Jeep that my dad typically drives. And somebody went through her purse, obviously, and found their, her driver's license and these keys, and they went to my folks' house, and they stole that Jeep from my folks' house. That's a little bit scary and spooky and all of those things. And she's explaining to me what, what happened, and, and, you know, hey, did they find the car? And eventually they find the car, and all those things take place. And so I get off this phone call, and I, I'm talking to my family later that day, and I said, hey, did, I, I have to tell you that somebody stole grandma's car. And my daughter, Lacey, who's 17 years old, she's like five three, you know, 101 pounds soaking wet, she said, I will fight whoever did that to grandma. Like, hold on, you know, I mean, okay. You know, I, I tease my daughter Lacey, you know how little dogs come to the door and bark when somebody comes to the door? It's always the little dog, dogs that bark loudest, you know? And sometimes I'll look at Lacey and just go, like, she's, she's a little dog. I mean, who in the world is she fighting, you know? And I, she can handle herself, I suppose. But anyway, look, 17 years old and somebody steals your grandparents' car, that is something that's sort of out of certainly that 17-year-old's control, Right? It's really out of my mom and dad's control. It's out of my control, right? I, I had a similar reaction. I'm calling my mom's cell phone, trying, what, what am I going to do if the thief answers, right? I mean, you know, I'm going to challenge him to a wing-eating contest. What am I going to do, you know? And I don't know. So, but you have kind of that reaction. How do I handle the situation? How do I take care of this mess that I am in? How do I fix this problem. And I have to believe that when Joseph hears this story, his reaction is sort of similar. It's, Rrr! you know, who do I fight? How do I handle this? How do I fix this problem? And one of the things that we have to determine as we look and search for joy this Christmas is that some things are simply out of our control. That doesn't mean that Joseph washed his hands and walked away and ignored responsibilities and didn't try to do anything. We're going to discover that that's exactly the opposite of what he did. But he really learned, I think, Principle number two, which we have to learn hand in hand with principle number one, that sometimes things are out of our control, and principle number two is that God's plans are better than our plans. God's plans are better than our plans. Let, let's take a look at, at uh, verses, verse 20 to 23 here as we consider this principle. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, uh, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel." But as he considered these things, there's a little difference in, in translation. The NIV uh, translates this, but after he had considered these things, after he knew about all of this, he was coming to a decision. The ESV, which I just read from, said, but as he considered these things. And I, I think this is, is just interesting for me, right? I, I don't suppose it matters all that much in, in the end, but I like to picture Joseph as sort of dealing with this in, in a way that maybe I would deal with it a little bit, right? He's 
he's trying to figure these things out. He's trying to decide, you know, what step do I take? You know, who do I fight? How do I handle this situation? What's the right thing to do? And all of those thoughts are running through his head and keeping him awake at night until finally he's like, well, I'm, I, I've gone through all the things that I think I can maybe try, and I've, I've tried to settle this in all the different, you know, methods and ideologies and thoughts that I have. I'm going to give up and I'm going to pray. And so then he starts to pray, and he starts to pray through these things. And as he prays, he eventually drifts off to sleep, right? He, he has no answers. He's no closer to a resolution from when he started worrying about it, from when he started to being, not being able to sleep, but he finally drifts off to sleep. And it's in that sleep that God speaks to Joseph. He says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is the second mention of the Holy Spirit here in our story. And remember, all those things we've talked about about the Holy Spirit, when he gets involved and he does the heavy lifting, and God's plans are always better than our plans. This angel, though, begins by saying, do not be afraid to be a part of this plan. Do not be afraid to believe in this courageous way. Do not be afraid to follow Jesus. You know, I don't know if we think about it enough as following Jesus is something that takes courage. But there's a certain amount of courage that, that is necessary to follow after Jesus. Uh, in, in our world, we, we maybe just need to be courageous enough to say, I'll be a follower of Jesus no matter the, the scorn that it might carry with it. No matter the way that some people might jump to conclusions about who I am or what I think or how I will act because I, I attend church and because I'm a follower of Jesus, I will continue to follow after him. It, it requires a certain amount of courage, perhaps, just to say out loud and to acknowledge ourselves as followers of Jesus because of how others might react negatively uh, to that uh, assertion. It takes a certain amount of courage to love like Jesus loved. Uh, this is the courage that I want to find. This is the courage that I want to get better at. I was at the International Conference on Missions a few uh, weeks ago or a month ago or whenever that was, and, and some of you attended. I was at an afternoon session, and, and it was taught by this preacher and author by the name of Vince Ananucci. He's a, he's a great preacher and a very interesting guy. He started a church in Las Vegas, and it's just a super interesting church that is really reaching folks who are far from Jesus. And uh, it's just a, it's an interesting place to go and, and to hear the stories of, of the folks that he is reaching, uh, his church is reaching for Jesus is really super cool. And he's talking about, uh, you know, this idea of loving others and, and the fact that we, we kind of build our own love scale. You know, the, these are the people that are easy to love and these are the people who are difficult to love. And sometimes that's based on kind of where those folks are, are coming from in life, maybe the sin they're carrying with them. And he talked about having a certain amount of people come and sit on the front row. And, and here's what we'd know about everybody who came into a church and sat on the front row. We'd know that they... Uh, 
were sinners. Uh, here's, uh, every Sunday you can do this. You can look down the aisle that you're sitting on. And everybody that you see in that aisle, you know that they're a sinner. And when they're looking back at you uh, down the other way of that aisle, they know that every one of those folks is a, is a sinner. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God outside of a saving relationship with Jesus. We can't do it on our own. We're, we're guilty of missing the mark on our own. We, we desperately require that love and grace and forgiveness that Jesus offers us. And sometimes we forget to love like he does. And we kind of make our list of these are the folks we can love and these are the folks we can't love. And for all kinds of reasons, we build that list. And we store it away. And so if somebody came down and sat in the front row here who, who maybe was involved in, in the sex industry, and for all kinds of reasons they might be involved in that, and they're doing all sorts of things, and we say, well, maybe it's, it's hard to love that person. The, the, nec- the person that sits next to them is, 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 is an alcoholic father who, who you know, is self-medicating through alcohol, and when, he, when he's drunk, he, he mistreats the people closest to him. And, and we say, May, maybe it's hard for us, for all kinds of reasons, to love a guy like that. And the person who sits next to him is, is you know, the accountant who lied on, on her taxes. And, and for all kinds of reasons, we might say, well, it's easier or harder to love a person like that. And the person next to them is a well-established person in the community. They, do, they seem to do the right things. They participate in the right charities. They show up at church most weeks. And, and he's a, a business person who is really successful, but for whatever reason, refuses to ever give back to God. And we could say, well, it's easier or hard to love a person like that. And we can all come to a different place. And, and, and each one of us would seat ourselves somewhere along that line, right? And, and whatever we'd say is at the front of the line and whatever's at the end of the line, then we would seat ourselves somewhere along that line because we are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior as well. The trick is, is that as you look at that group of people, we have to ask ourselves, well, how is their sin different from our sin? And certainly in the eyes of Jesus, it's not. It's not. Now you can add whatever person making whatever choice to that list of that front row uh, folks sitting in, in church that day, and you can say, well, that's a person who's really hard to love, or that's a person who's easy to love. I can figure that out because we build sort of the scales and categories of sin, and we keep track of stuff like that. But it takes great courage for us. Right? It takes great courage as a person who you know, maybe grew up in a, a household with an alcoholic father to look at that alcoholic father and love him. You know, it takes great courage for us to, to look at those individuals based on where we've been and what we've done and to love them like Jesus. We, it, it, it's an act of courage to love like Jesus. And man, I want to get better at that. Finally, it, it's an act of courage just to acknowledge sometimes that we would take a seat on that front row, that we're a sinner and we're in desperate need of a Savior. It, it, it takes courage to follow after Jesus. And so the angel says uh, to, to uh, Joseph, don't be afraid. You know, believe courageously. Understand that God's plan is, is better than our plans. Uh, that's really what he says in verse 21. He says it in a unique way. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Christmas is about this, this reuniting with our creator, about a, a savior who makes a way for us to be cleaned up enough to be in the presence of God. 
It's interesting as well that he said, this is the name you'll give him. To a Jewish father, there was no more secure right than the right to name your son. If you remember another birth story associated with Christmas, John the Baptist, you remember his dad, Zechariah, was a priest. He goes into the temple and he, 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 an angel, you know, God tells him that, hey, your, your wife, even though she's old, she's going to have a son. And Zechariah said, that can't be. And, and God made him silent, wouldn't allow him to speak until the birth of his son, John. Uh, by the way, the same thing. Hey, you're going to name him John. And when, when his wife eventually gives birth to a son, and, and his wife says, we want to name him John, the, the people, her family, her friends, they don't believe her. They say, we better ask Zechariah, because he's the father, it's his right to name the son. And when they ask Zechariah, you know, what should your son's name be? And he writes on a tablet, John they didn't believe him. They said, no, you, you, maybe you don't understand. What do you want to name your son, Zechariah? You, surely you want to name him Zechariah, or you want to name him after your great-grandfather, or you want to give him this family name. And he said, John, and then finally he could speak because he obeyed, because he acknowledged that I will give up my rights to follow after my God. You know, Joseph is acknowledging when he names Jesus, Jesus, he's acknowledging that God, your plans are bigger and they're better than my plans. I will give up my rights to be a follower of you. Behold, all this takes place in verse 22. Uh, to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, God's big plan is to show up in this world to be with us so that we might know who he is through a relationship with his son. This idea of God with us, of, of creator, sustainer, redeemer God, emptying himself, being born an infant, walking around as a human, that should shock us more than it does. This ability to be up close and personal with this big, big God should awe us more than it does. You remember maybe this, this prophet Moses, right? Moses was, was, uh, goes up on the mountain to meet with God. And while meeting with God, Moses said, God, I want to see your face. And God said, no way. You can't. It would kill you. He said, you can see me as I race by. You can see the back of my head as I race by, but you can't look at my face. And that's exactly what happened. And then do you remember what happened when Moses came down to meet with the people after meeting with God? After being told, you can't see my face? Well, Moses' face glowed so brightly that it was freaking everybody out. That they were scared to death. Being face to face with God in the Old Testament was terrifying. It was awe-inspiring, which is an understatement. It was shocking. It would make you so afraid. And so this idea that we can move from this place where you can't see my face, you can see the back of my body as I rush by. 
You can catch this glimpse and then nobody will be able to look at you. This idea that we move from there, that if we told Moses, yes, you can have this face-to-face conversation with God, you know, as soon as he's old enough to speak, he'd be blown over. He'd be knocked down. He'd be doubled over in sort of pain trying to understand what in the world was going on. And it ought to have that kind of impact on us. The idea that we can have this robust, personal prayer relationship with God should knock us down flat. It should at least, it should at least motivate us to meet with Him. This idea that we can hear from him, that his word is revealed to us, that it's not a one-way conversation, but that he's speaking back into our lives, it ought to knock us in onto the floor, or at least stop us in our tracks enough to hear from him. God's plan is always better than our plan. And Christmas is all about how he's made this way for us to know him personally. What an amazing gift. What an amazing idea. You know, how much more uh, joy can we find than meeting with the creator, sustainer, God in a personal way, in a way that doesn't terrify us? Principle number three is to simply obey even when things aren't simple. So Joseph is going to take these simple steps. He's going to simply obey, even though there's nothing really easy, there's nothing really simple about anything that he will do. Look at verse 24 here. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, no matter what the community said, no matter what his friends told him, no matter what you know, everybody else in town was saying, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He acknowledged that God's plan is better than my plan, and we're going to name this son Jesus. He simply obeyed, even when obeying wasn't simple. I was struck by how verse 24 uh, begins, that Joseph woke up. This is a really easy idea, isn't it? He was in this dream, he hears from God, and then he woke up, and he, he, he had to obey. You know, he had this choice. You know, if he was going to obey, he, it would require him to get up and to do these things, to wake up. I went back, you know, December 7th of Pearl Harbor Day, and I went back and I, I read some stories about uh, heroes from Pearl Harbor. And so many of those stories begin with these heroes, these ordinary uh, folks doing extraordinary things and, and uh, ultimately kind of this losing battle, right, Pearl Harbor. But they do these extraordinary things. They're recognized as heroes. So many of those stories begin with them waking up. It was fairly early in the morning. Maybe they had been out late the night before for whatever reason, doing whatever, right? And and they're woken. They hear their their orders. Or uh, like Phil Rasmussen is a story I read about this guy who who wakes up and figures out what's going on. He runs out in his purple pajamas to get in his airplane, to go into battle uh, in a lesser aircraft, confronts 11 enemy uh, pilots, you know, shoots one down, uh, disables another one before his plane is disabled, and eventually he's able to land without brakes and all this, you know, destruction to his own aircraft, 
Amazing story. He receives a, a medal. He's honored for that. He goes on to serve for 24 more years in what would become you know, the, the Air Force. That, that's amazing to me. It starts, though, with him waking up. You know, sometimes I just, I just think that in my own life, if I want to obey Jesus, it, it, you know, simple enough, I need to wake up. It's not so much the story I need to hear should change. It's not so much that the instructions I need to understand are different. It's just that I need to get up. That I need to wake up and, and to accept that challenge just simply obeying even when it's not simple. You know, maybe, maybe there's something that you need to wake up to this year, this Christmas, in your own spiritual life. And we talk about this, this Christmas offering, and, and I don't want to go into that too much, but, but maybe you've never given back to the work of God financially. Maybe this is the Christmas. You need to give back in a generous way to that Christmas offering, to just wake up, to acknowledge God as, as being Lord in, in that area of your life in that way. Maybe uh, some of you need to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. You know, you've never acknowledged him as Lord and Savior in your life publicly. And you need to understand what that looks like. And in January on the 12th, we're going to have a baptism class. I'd love for you to come and hear more about baptism, more about saying yes to Jesus in that way. Maybe you just need to wake up and take that step. Uh, some of you, are our new small group uh, session will start in January, and some of you have been attending small groups for years. You know the benefits of small groups. You know, maybe you know in your head, and it hasn't really moved to your heart so much, that if other people are to benefit like you do from small groups, that we need more small group leaders to make that possible. Maybe, maybe you need to take that step to lead a small group here at Wallula. Maybe you just need to wake up. You know, this next January, we're going to start some special leadership discipleship groups. And I'm going to be contacting some of you, inviting you to be a, a participant in that. But maybe some of you want to take that step in leadership and to, to figure out and hear more about that. There, there are sign-up sheets for the Next Step Station for most of those things that I just talked about at the Next Step. Take that next step and wake up. Just like Joseph woke up and he simply obeyed even when it wasn't simple. We know that it won't always be simple. There are reasons that those steps, uh, we, we've heard that information, we've heard those stories, we've been invited and challenged to serve in those ways, and we've all had reasons, valid reasons, right, why we can't do those things. Simply obeying isn't always simple. But sometimes in my life, I just need to wake up to do that, to serve, to simply obey. I asked the worship team before uh, first service if they'd seen this E.T. commercial. And they said, no, Lance, we read books, we study, we don't, you know, we don't watch television. And I said, I, I know, I need to do better. And well, I've seen this commercial, maybe some of you have seen it. Uh, E.T., extraterrestrial guy from back in the 80s, the little phone home. They also said, Lance, you're really old, you need to explain who E.T. is. And so I'm doing my very best to do that. All right, but he, he met in the 80s in the movie E.T. this little boy whose name was Elliot. 
And in this commercial, he comes back to Elliot's home, but Elliot is all grown up. He's got a family of his own. He's not 12 years old anymore. And they're so excited to eat, see E.T. And E.T.'s so excited to see Elliot. And, and there's different scenes of E.T. watching movies on the couch with Elliot and his family. And E.T. curing the sick flowers. I don't know why Elliot struggles to grow flowers so much, but he still does. And, and E.T. doing all these things with Elliot's family. And the idea is it's just so cool to be home, you know, especially at Christmas, right? Some of you maybe are experiencing that. My family's experiencing that a little bit. Our son Clayton was at college. He's on Christmas break and he's at home and it's been really good to have him at home for a few days and for a couple more days it'll be really good and then, you know, he need to go back to school, right? It'll be fine. Oh, it's good to be together again at Christmas. And I know some of you aren't experiencing that same thing for all kinds of reasons. Maybe a loss in this last year will be the first Christmas without dad. Or maybe just because of distance, you know, you're, you won't be able to spend Christmas with, you know, your son or your daughter or your mom or grandma or whatever the deal is. And so I know that's not always easy. But how amazing is it that no matter where we are, no matter the choices we have made, no matter how far we have tried to run, that our Creator God has made a way for us to be home this Christmas with Him. He did it the only way He could, by putting skin on and allowing us to know who He is through His Son Jesus, by being God with us. How awesome is it that we can call our God Emmanuel? Let's stand and worship Him.